The following lecture was delivered at the 14th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Washington, D.C., a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Manus Friedman now presents his lecture, The Hazards of Loneliness. Are you familiar with the feeling of being alone in the world? Even as children, we sometimes have that feeling. You know, when you're, when you're convinced that you've been adopted and that your parents aren't really your parents, so you're all alone in the world. It's a horrible feeling. In fact, it's a little bit of a dangerous feeling because when, when you feel all alone in the world, your immune system is affected and you become vulnerable to, um, to whatever happens to be passing by. So in England, the government opened a department in the Ministry of Health to deal specifically with the problem of loneliness. Because, you know, they have uh, socialized medicine. So they're paying for every illness and they're trying to avoid it. And they tracked it down and they discovered that much of the um, vulnerability to illness comes from loneliness. In fact, there's this incredible line from an old song. You probably know it. You probably know the writer or the singer. It's called Piano Man. And there's a line in that song that says, they are sharing a drink they call loneliness, but... Name that tune. <laughs> <clears throat> you got it. They're sharing a drink called loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. Which means, according to the insight in this profound song, <laughs> that loneliness is not really the problem. There's something worse, and that is aloneness. Because you can share loneliness well, you can solve it with a drink. <laughs> but aloneness is much worse. So people say, you know, you can go to a party, you can, you can uh, be busy socializing, but then you got to come home. And you realize that you're still lonely. But that's not correct. When you come home, you realize something worse than loneliness and that is, you're alone. The question is this. What's wrong with being alone? Sometimes, we actually want to be alone. Like that other famous quote, leave me alone. <laughs> Just leave me alone. Why won't you leave me alone? So make up your mind. You want to be alone or you hate being alone? <clears throat> Actually, being alone would be so good. Completely independent. Self-sufficient. What's wrong with that? See, most people complain about being alone because they have handicaps. When I'm alone, I don't get to have a hot meal because I don't know how to cook. I can open a can. But that's not the problem of being alone. That's the problem of being a shlomazel, <laughs> which is a whole other subject. <laughs> but imagine you could cook and do your own laundry, 
and take care of whatever you need to take care of, all by yourself. Wouldn't that be perfect? In other words, we shouldn't blame loneliness. We should blame our imperfections. But if we didn't have those imperfections, alone would be perfect. Which leads us back to the beginning of the Torah, where God famously said, it is not good for man to be alone. Which is interesting and needs a little commentary. For six days, God is creating stuff. All sorts of stuff. On the first day, he created light, but obviously that wasn't enough. So on the second day, he created a heaven. And that wasn't enough, so he decorated the earth with greenery. And that wasn't enough, so he put the sun and the moon and the moon in their orbit. Never once did he say, what, a world without trees? Not good. I have to make trees. He didn't say that. He just went ahead, made trees. Here he creates Adam, and then he says, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I'll create him a helpmate. Why did he have to say it? Just do what you got to do. God didn't say after creating the moon, I'm sorry, the sun, he didn't say, oh, the sun without the moon is no good. I have to create the moon. <laughs> he just created the moon. But here he creates Adam and says, well, this is not good enough. I have to create a woman too. Says, well, go ahead. You're the creator. You know, when you're hot, you're hot. You're on a roll. Created, go ahead. What's the statement for? Why did God need to say it's not good for man to be alone? And secondly, which is our topic today, it's not good for man to be alone? <laughs> Seems like it would be a great thing. So what is this aloneness or loneliness? Why is it a problem? Before God created the world, what was he? Alone. So in some sense, when God said it is not good for man to be alone, he was actually telling us why he created the world. Because it's not good to be alone. Oh, wait a minute. <clears throat> He's God. He's fully capable of taking care of himself. He doesn't need anyone's help at all. And yet it's not good to be alone? What's not good? It's a mystery. The biggest mystery in trying to understand God is to understand why he doesn't want to be alone. Why not? For God to complain about being alone is a great humility. To say it's not good to be alone is like saying, just me? That's it? Just me? Not good. But if you're God, what's not good? Yeah, just you. You're God. So for God to say, it's not good for me to be alone, is the ultimate humility. I'm not enough. Enough for what? Just not enough. So God creates us. Now he's not alone. <laughs> now he wishes he was. <laughs> See, that's the, that's the trap. <laughs> I don't want to be alone, but I don't want to be with you. 
So by saying it is not good for man to be alone, God was actually creating something. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said it's not good to be alone, and now it's not good to be alone. But had he not said it, it would have been very nice to be alone. So what's, what's the practical application? Our discomfort, the human discomfort with being alone is a divine gift, not a handicap. It is a total mystery. And only because we are created in God's image, that's why we hate being alone. Because we're like him. Perfect, but alone. And for no particular reason, that's not good. So, when do you get married? When you're perfect. When you realize you're perfect, but alone, the solution is get married. So God says, therefore should a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, and they become one. That's the antidote to aloneness. But if you stay with your mother and father, and you happen to have a very good relationship with them, you're still alone. You have to leave your mother and father and become one with a spouse. Then you're not alone. Why can't you be one with your parents? Because there are two of them. <laughs> they have each other. You're number three. You're not one. The only relationship in which you are really one is marriage. So again, practical application. When do you get married? When you're perfect. Why do you get married? Because it's just you. And what's wrong with that? Nobody knows. In other words, there is nothing wrong about being alone, it's the aloneness itself that is wrong. And there's no explanation. Why? And that's why there are times when we actually enjoy being alone. Leave me alone. So when you, when you discover that there are happily married couples, successfully married couples, and yet they each feel alone in the world, this is, this is a problem we've never had before. Marriage takes away the aloneness. You may wish you were alone, <laughs> but you're not. Can't live without you. and can't live with you, but you're not alone. That's something that developed recently, at least as far as, as, far as my experience. Not so long ago, all marriage counseling was trying to help two people get along who hated each other. That kind of made sense. It's hard to live with someone you hate. Need marriage counseling. But today, people come for marriage counseling and they don't hate each other. They just don't know why they have to put up with each other. And I think love is one of the culprits. Our grandparents were really married. There was no divorce. Okay, great-grandparents. There was no divorce. It was unthinkable. 
But when you say that to your kids, they say, oh, come on. They were miserable. Of course, they didn't get divorced. They didn't know how. <laughs> but they were miserable with each other. Yeah, both things are true. They would not get divorced. And they were miserable with each other. But they were married and miserable. Today, people are <clears throat> hardly married and miserable. There's no excuse for that. If you're going to be miserable, at least be married. <laughs> they have a good reason to be miserable. If you're, if you're not married and miserable, marriage counseling won't help. <laughs> See, here's the difference. Our grandparents got married to each other, and they were never alone again. Because they needed each other. Now, there were many things about each other they really couldn't stand. Why do you have to be like this? Why do you have to be like that? Why do you have to be like your mother? Why can't you be more like my mother? No, 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 no. Why do you have to be like my mother? Why can't you be like your mother? But divorce? What, and be alone? That's crazy. So there was no divorce because when you're not alone anymore, that's heaven. I'm not going to give that up. But did they like each other's personalities, opinions, shtick, moods. No. Who needs that? So here's the thing. To our grandparents, it's look, I need you. I need you. Without you, I'm alone. So I just need you. But all the things that come with you, what do I need this for? And that's our grandfather's most often quoted sentence. What do I need this for? I don't need this. But I need you. So divorce you? Never. Like you? <laughs> Not with your shtick. Today we have the exact opposite. We like everything about each other. We do things together, we travel together, we have shared interests, common interests. We like a lot of things about each other. We just don't understand why we have to put up with each other. So I like what you do, I like the way you think, I like the way we, but what do I need you for? Just give me the goodies so that I don't have to put up with you. The result is, our grandparents were never alone. They complained about each other in good health for 80 years, and they wouldn't give it up for anything. And we have the opposite. We have nothing to complain about. We just feel alone. Because we are married to so many different things in each other, without actually getting to each other. That alone feeling is terrible. And again, I'm blaming it on love. We look for love, we marry for love, we marry the love, and that we don't want to give up. But why I have to put up with a person, this I don't understand. So Tevye asks Golda, do you love me? And she says, 25 years I've, I've washed your clothes. <laughs> what? <laughs> what kind of answer was that? I mean, it's a nice song, but, <laughs> but where's the answer to the question? For 25 years I've washed your clothes, I made your meals, if that's not love, what is? So what was she saying? And what was he saying? 
He comes home after being married for 25 years to this wonderfully devoted wife, and he says, yeah, but, but do you love me? And she says, what? <laughs> what kind of question is that? He says, do you love me? It's a good question. I heard it from my daughters. <laughs> They're marrying for love. So she says, being the wiser of the two, she says, am I giving you my love? Is that your question? Am I giving you my love? For 25 years, I gave me to you. You have me. Does that include love? Probably. If you have me, you have all of me. And all you're worried about is love? It turns out that that is a very wise and very meaningful answer. Do you want to be married to me or do you want to be married to love? Our daughters are in trouble. This is the beginning of the end. They're not marrying someone who they love. They're marrying the love and someone comes with it. And they're not going to like that. <laughs> so when, when Tevye says, do you love me? It's almost like saying, can you please just love me? Don't give me your opinion or your personality or your moods. Just give me your love and shut up with the rest. Because I don't need you. I just need your love. Now suppose she does love him. Is he now happily married? Yes. Is he still alone? Absolutely. Alone with the love. Love is not a person. It's a detail. You can get more, you can get less, you can have it, not have it, and you can live without love. Shocking, huh? Love is not a necessary ingredient in life. You can live without love. Don't believe it? Can you live without chocolate? I'll give you time to think about it. <laughs> it's not an easy question to answer. Give it some thought. But can you imagine living without chocolate? You love chocolate. Chocolate makes you feel loved. <laughs> chocolate is not good for you. You're not good for the chocolate. All you have is love. You can live without chocolate. Our grandparents did live without chocolate. Like for 5,000 years. So yes, you can live without chocolate. You can live without love. But you cannot live alone. So again, the difference is Alone means just you, no one else. No one other than you. No one beside you. What's love got to do with it? The person you have beside yourself that takes away the loneliness, do you love that person? Not right now. I used to. Maybe I will someday. But what does that have to do with being married? Marriage means just me is not, is not doable. Why, I don't know. When I marry, I'm no longer alone. Why? Because there is an other in my life. Do I love that? Let me think about it. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Not all the time. Now, there are things I don't love at all. 
There are things about your spouse you will never love and you shouldn't. I don't know how you put up with that in your spouse. I, I think you're a martyr. I, I, you're a tzaddik for putting up with that stuff. But your spouse? You can't live without your spouse. Then you'd be alone. And being alone is not good. God says so. <laughs> so there are things you don't like about your spouse. You're right. Not everything about your spouse is lovable. But having a spouse, not being alone, being joined at the hip, that's indispensable. How do you become one? How do you stop being two separate people with shared interests? As long as we're talking about songs. If you both love pina colada and walks in the rain, shouldn't you be married to each other? I mean, with that much in common. So imagine you get married because you both love pina colada. Will that solve the problem of aloneness? No. That's, that's the drink called loneliness. <laughs> You're married to the pina colada, and so is she or he. So you're married to the same thing. That's kind of a relationship of sorts. <laughs> Imagine you were both married to the same person. You'd have something in common, <laughs> but you wouldn't be married to each other. You would be married to this thing you have in common. So I love you, you love me, perfect, let's get married. No, 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 I prefer the pina colada. Let's get married. You have money, and I love money. <laughs> That's not grounds for marriage? I think it is. Yeah, yeah, but, but what happens if, if you lose the money? <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean, what happens? <laughs> if you lose the money, get out of here. I don't need you. But then, what if I marry you for love? and you lose the love. Same problem. And you're more likely to lose the love than to lose the money. <laughs> so getting married for money is a much better idea. <laughs> Tevye comes home and says, do you love me? <sighs> Don't be childish. Ask her if she has any hidden money. <laughs> Makes more sense. Love is ruining our relationships. So the question is not, do you love me? And the question is not, do I love you? Do I love being married to you? That's a good question. And the answer is yes. Being married to you is wonderful. If you could just stop being you. If you could lose all the shtick, if you could stop with your opinions and with your moods and with your, <laughs> with your family mixing into everything, being married to you is wonderful. Because now I'm not alone. I always have you. So who was right? Our grandparents who were married to each other but had a few complaints about things like, you don't have money? Really? Why don't you have money? Go make some money. You're not happy? Why aren't you happy? Be happy. 
You don't like my mother? Why don't you like my mother? I like my mother. <laughs> so there are things we can complain about. That's unavoidable. Because you married someone other than you. I don't know if you appreciate the meaning of that word. Other than you means not like you. Different. Separate. Independent. <laughs> you didn't marry a clone. You married an other. And there's nothing more other than male and female. I know society is trying to convince us that we're the same. Men and women are the same. <laughs> I don't think so. Something tells me that that's not true. <laughs> so God says, if you want to stop being alone, you have to marry someone other. How other? From a different planet. Venus cannot marry Venus. And Mars can't marry Mars. You have to marry cross-planetarial. <laughs> Interplanetarial. You have to marry the person you have the least in common with. But you both want to be married. So what do you love? You love the person who is not you. And what do you love about that person? The part that is not you. Because if the person you were married to was exactly like you, you would be alone again. Like God created the angels and he was still alone. Why? Because the angels are too much like him. They have no personality, they have no independent thinking, they have no opinion, they have no appetites, they have no rebelliousness. They're just clones. So he was still alone. When he created us and said, oh my God, oh, he didn't say that. <laughs> he said, what in the world? <laughs> this is an impossible creature. I think I'll marry them. And when we really misbehave and got on his nerves, I mean, really, when we made the golden calf, what does Moshe say in our defense? Forgive them. They're a stiff-necked people. So ah, that's helpful. What kind of argument is that? They can't help it? They're just stiff-necked and they, they don't know how to get along. Stiff-necked meant not like an angel. Human beings with our freedom of choice, we are very different from God. And that's the part he likes about us the most. So Moshe says, yeah, I know they do stupid things, but they're stiff-necked. They're not you. And God said, you're right. No wonder I chose the Jews. <laughs> they are the most stiff-necked of all nations. Are we not? God takes us out of, I mean, think about this. God takes us out of Egypt with 10 plagues. Pretty impressive. Then he splits the sea. More impressive. Then he gives us food from heaven. A little endearing, don't you think? <laughs> Brings us breakfast every morning? Come on. And then he says directly to the people, thou shalt make no graven images. What does it take to impress us? Forty days later, we said, you know, make an image. What can be so terrible? 
So we tried it. We made a golden calf. Not only after hearing the commandment, after that whole history, we're stiff-necked people. Can't make a golden image, go a, a, a graven image. We had to try it. We just had to see, well, what's, what's going to happen already if you make a, gold, a golden cow? I don't think there's another nation in the world that could do that. Because most nations in the world are religious. You say to them, I will reward you, I will bless you, I will perform miracles for you, I will feed you breakfast. Just don't make golden images. They wouldn't. Because they're normal. Here we have this, talk about golden, we have this goose that lays the golden eggs, takes us out of Egypt, crosses the sea for us, gives us breakfast, and you just, out of spite, out of, out of stiff-neckedness, say, well, well. That's like, I don't have to be nice to my mother. She really loves me. That's why you don't have to be nice. I don't have to be nice to my wife. She'll never leave me. That's why you don't have to be nice. So the more God does for us, the more God gives us, the more we see of his greatness and of his devotion, the, the less inclined we are to obey him. He took us this far. You think he's going to give up on us just because we made a cow? <laughs> what, that's going to ruin the whole relationship? Yeah. We are a stiff-necked people. And that's what he likes most about us. Can't be married to a clone. You have to be married to someone who is not you. And that's why, you know, the honeymoon and after the honeymoon? During the honeymoon, you become clones. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, I like that idea. That's right, yeah. I All right, the honeymoon is over. Stop it. I don't like that idea. It's a crazy idea. Who would think like that? Are you crazy? <laughs> now you're married. Now there is someone else in your life and you are not alone. Now you wish you were, but you're not. Thank God. So, what is the other? Now people are always saying, why can't you accept me for who I am? It's, it's, it's a desperate plea. I need you to accept me for who I am. Stop making conditions. Just accept me for who I am. And I would gladly do that. But I have no idea who you am. Can you tell me who you am? And I will accept it. No, you can't. Accept me for who I am. Okay, who am you? Never mind. You don't know who you am. I don't know who you am. How am I supposed to accept you for who you am? Why can't you accept me the way I am? <laughs> I don't know. You don't even know what you're saying. How am you? Not me. That's what you're saying. Why can't you accept me for the fact that I'm not you? How not you? <laughs> well, you're going to find out. <laughs> After the honeymoon, you actually need to show how not you I am. 
And that's the part that you're supposed to want. That's the part that you're supposed to love. You don't love it, it's still good. Because you have someone other than you in your life. What would you gain by having someone other than you? Don't even ask that question. What do you gain by having someone other than you? Someone other. Yeah, but what's good about that? Nothing. There isn't anything good about it. It's good. How do we know? Because it's not good to be alone. So if you're not alone, that's good. And when are you not alone? When you're married to someone you can't stand. Is this not true? You're married to someone you love. Eh, you're just sharing a drink called loneliness. But you're alone. So what do we do to get rid of this aloneness? You do what God does. Humble yourself. I am perfect. Otherwise, you shouldn't be married. You only get married when you're perfect. You don't have to take a poll to find out who thinks you're perfect. If you think you're perfect, you're perfect. And that's when you get married. God created the world after he was perfect. And you look at your perfect self, and you say, that's it? Just perfect me? Not good. So you get married when you're perfect. And what is it you do when you get married? You bring someone else other than you into your life. And how do you know it's someone else? When she stops agreeing with you. <laughs> when she's agreeing with you, it's suspicious. Is there someone else? Or are you hearing your echo? See, that's why women get really, really upset in the first days of their marriage. A woman actually complained to me. Whatever I say, he says yes. Can't be married to a guy like that. <laughs> Doesn't he have an idea of his own? Can he ever disagree with me? Well, why do you want a disagreement? Because I don't want to be alone. I need someone stiff-necked, like God needs the Jewish people. Otherwise, I get the sneaky feeling that I'm still alone with my echo. Okay, so here's the practical application. If you want to stop being alone, start fighting. Enough with this Mr. Nice Guy. Show your difference. Have disagreements. Be from different planets. Tell each other every day, I don't understand you at all. <laughs> and love it. God loves us. Can you believe this? And what does he love about us most? that we're impossible, <laughs> absolutely impossible. Anything he says, we come up with a better idea. God says, don't work on Shabbos. Don't do any manner of labor on Shabbos. And we say, great idea, family time. God says, uh, I didn't say anything about family. It's Shabbos. Don't do any work on Shabbos. 
And we say, yeah, spend time with your family. Isn't that what you're saying? <laughs> and God says, no. <laughs> Whether you have a family or not, don't work on Shabbos. He, he, mean, he means family. He means <laughs> really good for the family. <laughs> God says, don't eat these animals. And you say, oh, that's a good idea. Pigs, they're disgusting. No, 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 no. It's not about being disgusting. It's about kosher and not kosher. So don't eat these animals. Yeah, trichinosis. <laughs> so no, no, not trichinosis, kosher. <laughs> <clears throat> it's easier to spell. <clears throat> Trichinosis. So whatever God says, we come up with a better idea. I'm talking about totally observant Jews. Even when we're obeying, we don't obey. God says, don't work on Shabbos. Of course not. I'm going to spend time with my family. God said, are you listening to me or you've got your own, your own agenda going here? That's what he loves about us. When Moshe passed away, the Medrash says, God cried. He's going to miss Moshe. But what exactly was he crying about? What will he miss most about Moshe? that he defended the Jews every time God was angry at them. That's what he needs Moshe for. I think these people are impossible. Moshe says, no, 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 no. God loves that. So when you disagree, enjoy. It's the best part of marriage. <laughs> the best part of marriage is your disagreements your difference in personality, in taste. So when your wife does something you really cannot understand, you should say to yourself, wow, I'm married. This is not a roommate. I am married. And thank God for that. So how long ago did God say it is not good for man to be alone? 5,779 years, a few months, and a few weeks. And how come all this time we didn't appreciate it? Isn't it amazing how a simple statement in the Torah that we have read, studied, commentaries, endless, and 5,700 years later, we understand what it says, and it's amazing. The Torah is infinite, and whatever we need, the Torah will provide as the need arises. The Torah is infinite in its wisdom, and every time we look at it, we discover something significantly new. You would think by now, we've pretty much plumbed all of its wealth. We haven't even started. The coming of Mashiach brings with it an entirely, an entirely new way of living, an entirely new way of thinking, of being. What's gonna guide us then? The answer is the Torah. Well, the Torah is good for a time of exile. It was really helpful seeing us through these miserable years. But when things become good, aren't we going to need a new Torah? An updated Torah? The answer is yes. The Torah will be updated exactly the way it is. And suddenly it will have a whole new meaning because we think we know it, we don't. So the teachings of Mashiach are going to be radically, significantly, dramatically different. And it's the same Torah 
the same words, the same letters, we're just going to realize that we haven't even begun to appreciate the Torah. So I think the most, for me, the most exciting part of this whole, this whole talk, the aloneness is a current events issue. And the only place you're going to find an answer to the question that makes any sense at all is in the Torah that is 5,779 plus 2,000 years old, because the Torah is 2,000 years older than creation. So now it feels like when God wrote the Torah, he really wasn't addressing the people in a desert. It's not for them. He wasn't talking to people who live in Israel with a base hamigdash and prophets running around. It's not for them. The Torah was written for us. The Torah is most relevant for our times when everything is being questioned and everything is in doubt and you need to go back to the original blueprint. Why get married? What is marriage? What is me? How am I? That's an amazing thing. And that's why you're here. We come to find out what the Torah says about us. How can the Torah say anything about you? It was written 3,000 years ago. Haven't things changed? Yes, things have changed. And the Torah was way ahead of us. It already has the answers, the explanations, and the guidance for what to do in this strangely new world. And this is nothing compared to Mashiach. So it is so good that we are here studying Torah. There is no greater wisdom in the world. There's no better blueprint for life. And the more we follow that blueprint, the closer we stick to those details, the better our lives are. Today, in the 21st century, if that's not a miracle, what is? Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.